Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, it is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Benini is on the horn as well, and we're here to talk all things WWE from SmackDown to Raw and everything in between as we slowly approach the first pay-per-view following WrestleMania 37, the appropriately named WrestleMania Backlash, just about two weeks away. We have a long show, plenty to talk about today, so we've got to take care of business up front as we always do. A reminder, head on over to Twitter, give us a follow at Getting Overcast. It's where you will get new show drops. You'll be able to communicate us via DM, tweet. I got a ton of tweets this week. We're going to read them on the show. A lot of you contributed sound clips to the soundboard. We got some really good stuff freshening up the Getting Over landscape as we start a new season, I guess we can call it, after WrestleMania of professional wrestling. The other reminder, this may sound familiar. It's Okay, technically that's not the exact clip I was looking for, but shout out to Dusty Allen for sending that in. Apparently Booker T said it a bunch of times while he was on TNA and or Impact, whatever it was called then. Folks, you know, longtime listeners, you know the exact clip I want. It's not this. It's but it's really close to that. And I was listening to this promo from Booker T. It was some like main event mafia promo that he was doing against like people from TNA, Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, etc. And he put on this weird accent. And I was thinking back to like people criticizing Apollo Crews for his current accent. It is nowhere near as bad or maybe even quote unquote insulting as whatever this Booker T accent is. So I hope to interview Booker T one day and actually ask him what the hell he's doing here. But the reason why we say it's all about the five is because that's what it takes. You guys need to head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop those five-star rating and reviews, let people know how much you love this show. That's why it's all about those the five. It's those five-star reviews. That is what we want. Do not forget to be marks for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So the business is out of the way, as always. We don't have a sponsor for you this week, which is, I guess, good news for you, maybe not great news for us, but the sponsors are coming in hot and heavy to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast universe. So I should note, if you have a product or a website or anything that you want to promote here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, you can shoot me an email, gettingoverpod at gmail.com, and I would happily discuss rates and what we can do to talk about your product or website or really whatever the hell you have going on. We would love to promote it here on Getting Over. So with all of that out of the way, I can welcome in Chris. Chris, it has been a hell of a week for us. We had a lot of work to do, the NFL draft and a lot of stuff happening in the world of college football. I feel rested and relaxed and ready to talk some professional wrestling. Yeah, I'm coming off a, a four-day vacation over the weekend. I actually watched uh, SmackDown with my dad for the first time in, shoot, 20 years or something like that. So, Does your dad uh, watch he, wrestling? He used to. I mean, he, he got us into it when we were kids. He doesn't anymore. The, he's, he has watched uh, the A&E biographies and stuff like that. So he's okay. dipping his toes back in, and we were able to convince him to watch uh, SmackDown this week, my brother and I. And we're going to attempt to talk about those biographies at the end of the show, but it does depend how long the show goes today. Chris has a hard out. I got a lot of stuff to do work-wise as well. So we're just going to try to knock this out of the park. And if we have time, we will talk 
about those A&E biographies. So with that, that's pretty much everything out of the way. You know how this show begins. We're going to slide right into the main event. And this week on Getting Over, we have one main event, not six like two weeks ago, uh, not however many we had last week, a single main event. And that is the major storyline on SmackDown. The Universal Championship was on the line Friday night, Roman Reigns defending against Daniel Bryan with the stipulation that if Daniel Bryan was to lose the match, he would leave SmackDown. Now that we have that to unpack, but we have more to unpack here as well. So this is going to take up the entire main event segment. So it began with Brian. He was backstage stressing his confidence in tapping Reigns out again and promising that his first title defense, once he was the new WWE Universal Champion, would be against Cesaro. Seth Rollins, they, they did a thing where all the wrestlers got to pick who they thought would win. Rollins picked Brian in an upset, and then he challenged Cesaro for next week. Cesaro accepted the challenge. He picked Brian and said that he would then beat Brian for the title. Booker T picked Reigns. Corbin and Shinsuke Nakamura spoke, but neither of them actually really picked. Xavier Woods picked Brian. Kofi Kingston picked Reigns, which I thought was pretty uh, apropos considering he had that feud against Brian. The Miz picked Reigns as expected. And then Paul Heyman cut an epic, epic, truly masterclass level promo, putting over Brian's entire career, all the obstacles he's overcome, and saying he's a Hall of Famer before noting that Brian can basically do everything there is in the world of professional wrestling, except beat Roman Reigns. It was a great build getting ahead of the match. And they really, Chris, did a good job making this a big deal over the course of the entire two-hour show. Not only that, they gave it enough time to really enjoy it in the main event, especially considering all the commercials. Yeah, uh, but I'll say this. Both Raw and SmackDown did a good job building toward a main event and in, in, in making it feel like what you're going to see at the end of the show is important. Obviously, SmackDown had a title on the line, so it was, it was naturally that big, but uh, it, it was good. It was good to see that, hey, this matters to everybody. And they've done that a couple times from time to time. They'll, they'll pull everybody. Sometimes they'll bring in legends to record videos to make a pick or something like that. So uh, it was a uh, it was a good build throughout the throughout the uh, the night. It largely felt like it was a one-match show, even though it wasn't. They gave the main event 40 minutes from the beginning of Brian's entrance. And then you consider, hey, they put in another probably 10 minutes over the course of the show. That means like an entire hour of the show was dedicated just to this match. And that they made it that important, and it was that important, which is why it is our main event. So we'll get to the match itself. So Brian made his entrance, as I said, at 9.20 p.m., and Reigns makes his entrance finally gets new entrance music 240 days after returning to WWE and doing that interview where he said he would debut new music at the appropriate time. So we're going to go listen to that right now, and then we're going to discuss it because WWE did release the official theme, and I know that we were able to hear it on SmackDown, but we didn't necessarily hear it that clearly.
All right, so we'll kind of stop it there because it's competitive after that. Now, Chris, from the very beginning, loved this. At (laughs) first, I didn't, admittedly, and I tweeted as much. But now that I'm able to actually hear it, right, and, and hear it in its full quality without Michael Cole and Pat McAfee talking over it, they had to. I mean, they're on TV. They can't just let the song play on its own. Now that I've been able to hear it, it is much stronger than I thought it was, despite in many ways being of the more generic variety, right? It's it's very much a final boss yes. um, type of theme. And it takes what, what I think is cool, some parts from the old theme, the old shield theme, the bang, bang. And it seems to also be a playoff of the theme from Succession on HBO, which is an hour long drama that happens to be the best show on television. And, and the and intro to that show really sets the tone for what that show is going to be about. And I feel like this theme in many of the same ways does that for Roman Reigns. The entire entrance with the lasers and the pyro was fantastic. The only thing I think this is missing, and I think it's a fair criticism, it could really use some lyrics or some phrases to put it over the top. Like, think about even The Rock's theme. The Rock had a really good theme. But what really hit you was, do you smell what The Rock is cooking? And then it bangs in and you get the guitar riff and all that type of stuff. So you have the choir-like beginning here, which is similar kind of to what we had with Rollins, which is similar kind of to what we had with Bailey. It's not that unique from other themes that WWE has created recently, despite being a very good theme. So I think having I am the head of the table or like some type of injection of Roman Reigns' gruff personality or lyrics is the other option to it. I think it would take it from what I would call right now a B plus or maybe an A minus theme to an A plus potential theme. But it is great. And for them not to significantly disappoint, considering how long we've been waiting, that is an achievement on its own. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you've come around because when I first heard this on Friday and someone uploaded like part of it on loop on YouTube, I listened to this thing, I swear, 20 times over the weekend. It just got me so fired up and I couldn't. It's a good workout. Like, you know what? It's a good like beginning of a workout theme. Yeah. Yeah, it gets yeah. you in the, it gets, you know, like something big's about to happen when you hear this. So I loved it. Honestly, we could talk for an hour about WWE music if I wanted to. I just, this stuff, I love this stuff. It's so important. And ever since WWE moved away from CFOs who came after Jim Johnston the, over the past probably year-ish, most of the new themes they've had have not been good. I mean, I think about the new Seth stuff. I think about the the Kyle O'Reilly stuff a lot of the new themes have just not been that good but they nailed this one this one is tremendous i agree that in a lot of situations it would be good to start with the lyric you're obviously a big lyrics guy for this stuff i generally am but not for i think the character that roman is because he's a guy who doesn't say a lot so we don't need a lot of that but if he's going to interrupt somebody for a promo that's where the lyric is like a big deal. Um, you know, it, it, so if, if Roman had like a version of that that started off with I am the head of the table and then boom, it goes into it, that would work. But for an entrance for a big match, I like it better without the lyric to start. And third, when he won the match, 
it went right into the chorus, the piano part. It didn't start off with the the, the choir. So that was that was big too. I I, I think they nailed pretty much all, nearly every single aspect of this. So it was great to see. And yeah, here, it's not even necessarily the words, right? Like, okay, so yes, uh, the rock had words at the beginning of his, right? But think about Steve Austin with the glass breaking. Think about even Bret Hart, that like guitar string or riff. I don't, you know, I'm not really musical uh, at the beginning of his. Or even Shawn Michaels, where like it's the, the woman screaming, right? At the very beginning. It's something that like announces the presence immediately. Right. This builds up to a crescendo. Now that is appropriate for the Roman Reigns character because he's so larger than life. He's so big and grand and great that that is why they went in that direction but it doesn't work if for the interruption parts of things for other usages of themes and i do think that maybe it's not putting it at the beginning but it is having lyrics to it because just think about like the usos theme right or biggie's theme or Apollo Crews theme, how some work with lyrics and how some could be enhanced by adding lyrics to them. That is kind of what I'm talking about. It's just almost there. It's missing that little bit to truly take it over the top. But that is not to say it's not good. It is very good. And yes, initially I was wrong, like straight up. I said it was, hey, this is pretty good, but it misses on a lot of notes. It's kind of dry. It's really not dry, but it could use that enhancement to really take it over the top, take it to that next level. And that's what I'd like to see. And look, I'm not saying it won't happen, right? Themes do develop as time goes on. The Rocks theme, as an example, is one that developed. There was actually WWE back in the 90s released an album, I think it was called, uh, or maybe it was WWF at the time, I don't remember, but like Aggression or something like that, where Mm -hmm. it was rap versions of Superstars themes. And they started using some of those as the entrance themes for the superstars. I would love to see some, a scenario pop up where there's like a big name rapper who like hears this and is like, man, I got to spit on this. Yeah. And, and that, cuts that's... a version and WWE starts using it. And maybe they don't use it until he's a face, but I'd it, love to see yeah, it. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, no, that this is a good song that would, it, it, it's a good theme to rap over. So if that happens at some point, that'd be pretty sweet. Yeah, that's what I would like. Okay, that's enough about the theme. Let's get into this match. Roman Reigns. Oh, what, sorry. One last thing I want to say. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I looked this up and the most viewed uh, WWE YouTube video from SmackDown was the entrance. This theme was a, the new theme was a big deal to a lot of people. They wanted to hear it. They wanted to see it. It's I Roman Reigns. They bring a, yeah. Well, it's Roman Reigns, but it has more views than the match. It is 2.1 right now. The match has 1.6. The post-match is 1.4. So th- this new theme was a big deal to a lot of people. So that, that's why we talked about it to start off. No, the, the, yeah, right. That, we didn't give it time for no reason. Like people flipped out about this and it was a big conversation uh, topic, especially over the first half of the match. The primary thing people were talking about was actually not the match. It was the theme. So yeah. I did find that certainly interesting. But okay, it is match time. We're here to talk about actual wrestling. I'm going to go on long because it was a long match and it was a really good match. Uh, Brian had all the momentum early. Inside and outside of the ring, Reigns caught Brian on the top rope for an avalanche powerbomb and a near fall. Then Brian came back with an avalanche back suplex. Reigns got a near fall on a Samoan drop. Brian countered a Superman punch by kicking and wrenching Reigns' arm, but Reigns caught a tope suicida with an exploding belly-to-belly suplex outside. Brian dodged Reigns' spear as the champion went through the barricade, and then he hit a diving headbutt for a 
2.9. The Superman punch delivered another near fall for Reigns. Brian countered a spear into a small package for another near fall and then hit a running knee, his finisher, but Reigns got his foot on the rope at 2.99. Like WWE is not great at the near fall. They always kick out well before the equivalent type of kick out in New Japan or sometimes even AEW. Reigns got this one nailed. 2.99, the hand was about to hit. It was perfect to pop me. Reigns countered a yes lock with a pin. Then Brian kicked out of a spear. Brian slipped out of a guillotine, countering with an arm bar and then a yes lock. And he countered a rope reach by rolling Reigns into the center of the ring. And at that moment, they had me. I legitimately thought Brian was going to win. I, there was no Jey Uso. No one was coming in. I looked at the time, I think, and I, there was only a couple minutes left. I was like, oh my God, they're going to do the rest as a celebration. Daniel Bryan's going to win the title. I'm getting swerved or I'm, you know, I'm getting worked. Yeah, they worked me. Uh, Reigns eventually powered out of it and immediately bludgeoned Brian, hit a powerbomb, bludgeoned him again, hit a second powerbomb, and then he switched arms on a second guillotine and Brian eventually passed out. The referee even tapped his arm three times, not the normal one, which is something we always talk about. Back old school, we want the arm raised three times. They don't do that anymore. This time he tapped it three different times to make sure Brian was passed out. And Roman Reigns won. He retained the Universal Championship. Chris, this was incredible, okay? No Jey Uso, no Edge, clean as a whistle. This was Reigns' first real, completely clean win as champion since his return. It was the match I wanted and thought we would get at WrestleMania. Pat McAfee was incredible with Michael Cole. He didn't seem out of place at all. It was like he had been doing it for 10 years. It all worked perfectly together. It was an absolute, inarguable banger. The only thing I wish is that there were no commercials because they kept going to commercial and you're like, all I want to do is watch this freaking match. This was a five-star television match. This was an A+. However you want to grade it, I don't care. It was perfect. It was an incredible SmackDown write-off for Brian. I'm going to pause here so you can get in, but there is plenty more to discuss about all this. Yeah, real quick on the commercials, uh, I'm right there with you because one thing my dad kept complaining about while watching SmackDown for the first time in forever was that there were so many commercials. I think there were three commercial breaks in this match. Yeah, it was 40 minutes. It was 40 minutes, so you had to have some. But I just think back to Attitude Era Raw, you know, when there were 15, 10 minutes ago, Jim Ross would say, no more commercials, folks. We're, we're here. And it would it would it would further add to how big of a deal this finish was. So it would have been nice, but I get why they got to do commercials. This match was awesome. Start to finish every part of it. They, they like you said, they got you a couple times on the near falls. Incredibly creative. Roman comes out of this looking strong, uh, clean win, no interference, all that stuff. And. They got so many little things right. And you mentioned the arm, tapping Brian's arm three times. I don't know if this is the reason why, but in my head, I thought to myself, the referee knows that if Brian loses this match, he's gone from SmackDown. These stakes are bigger than almost any other stakes you can have in pro wrestling. And he really, really wanted to make sure that Jane and Brian was out of it. So that was just like a little thing that really added to the finish, I think. So they they just they got every single part of this right. It was it was so freaking good. Yeah, I mean when when you're talking about ending someone's career on a brand in particular, and we'll talk about the ramifications and, and all that in a little bit. 
you have to, and you're going to tap them out in that way. You're going to have them pass out. You have to make sure, right? And if they just hit his arm one time, you're like, oh, come on, that's a weak finish. But going to that extra length and making sure of it, getting that near fall with reins on the ropes, having Brian hit the finisher, having Brian escape a guillotine, and reins have to go to the other arm, having Michael Cole call that out on commentary where he misses so many important, intricate spots. You could tell that everyone involved in this, I don't know who the agent was on the match, but certainly Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns, they put a lot of effort into making sure this was great. And I could see some people, certain people who grade matches, potentially downplaying it because there were commercials or there were no fans. I don't care. I was this. I was gripped. They had me 100% yep. on this. It was as good as any match, I think, that we saw at WrestleMania, including the main event with Edge. That was a fantastic match too. But this was just... So freaking good. These guys, every time they do it, Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan, they always put on bangers. And this was just another one of those. I only do wish that I actually wish Daniel Bryan won because it really would have worked in storyline. But I understand why they didn't do it. And we will talk about, of course, what's next for him. Uh, But before we get to that, let's talk about how it ended, how SmackDown actually ended. So after the match, Bryan is lost. Reigns isn't done with him. He takes two chairs, slides one under his head, gets ready to concerto Brian when Cesaro runs in for the save and beats the shit out of Reigns outside. That is when Jey Uso came in to make the save this time. And he wrapped Cesaro in the ropes, his arms in the ropes, as Reigns finally delivered the concerto to Brian to take him out for good. So now we pose the question of what's next for Daniel Bryan, because it's one thing if he loses. And at the end of the show, He's able to stand up and and bow or wave or kind of do something to that end. I think if it actually was this guy leaving WWE, which no one's really talking about, and it's not something that I believe or anyone I think really believes is happening. If it was to be that, I think he would have gotten that type of moment. He's had too long and too good of a career where you concerto him and just send him out like you do Matt Hardy. And they certainly have, to a large extent, said numerous times on Twitter, on social media, everywhere, it was writing him off SmackDown. I think the concerto gives him a reason to be out of action for an extended period of time, a month, two months, three months, whatever the case might be. But I do think he winds up on a different brand. My curiosity is where do they put Daniel Bryan? Because I can make an extremely strong case for Raw and I can make an extremely strong case for NXT. The case for Raw, it's very simple. The show largely sucks. It needs an injection of life. Having Daniel Bryan in there, allowing him to work with a Bobby Lashley, a Drew McIntyre, AJ Styles is still there. Randy Orton is there. There's a lot of exciting matches that has he never worked with some of these people before? Some of them he hasn't. Some of them he has, like an Orton, for example. But you haven't seen it in three or four years, and it would feel completely fresh. I think it makes a lot of sense to put him on that show. Hopefully it would help the ratings because Daniel Bryan is a big name. And I do think you could actually make him WWE champion. The reason to put him on NXT is twofold. Number one, I think there's only a couple people in WWE who, if you put them on NXT consistently, would help the ratings. He's one of them. If you tell main roster fans that Daniel Bryan is now on NXT with Finn Balor, with some of the other people that are down there, I think they're going to tune in and watch NXT. So There is a chance, I don't know that it takes NXT over a million, but I think it helps with the ratings more consistently. 
It also freshens up their main event situation. And it allows Daniel Bryan to go through a gauntlet of dream matches that fans want for him. And I think Daniel Bryan wants for himself personally. Yes, that maybe he doesn't get the Kenny Omega and he doesn't get some of these other names that we want to see. But he gets the Johnny Gargano and the Adam Cole and the Kyle O'Reilly, the Timothy Thatcher and the Tommaso Ciampa. You know, and there's other guys, Finn Balor, we get to see that again and a lot of other people. So I do think there's a great reason to put him on both brands. And I think even if initially, Chris, the goal or decision was to put him on Raw, there seems to be a lot of momentum to put Daniel Bryan on NXT. And I think if I had to pick, if I had to predict, while Raw makes the most sense and is the most WWE decision that we would get, for some reason, I get a weird feeling he might wind up on NXT. Look, I mean, I mean, if it was a personal choice about the most fun wrestling to watch, yeah, I'd want Dan O'Brien on NXT. Would you be more likely to, because you don't watch NXT weekly, would you start watching it more frequently if he was on it? Yes, absolutely. But I don't, I don't see that happening. I, I, I just don't. I, it I don't just doesn't Vince, feel like it's something WWE would ever do. I don't see Vince McMahon being like, oh, I've got this megastar Dan O'Brien. Where should I put him? My struggling flagship show or or NXT. He's gonna he's gonna put him on Raw at some point. I think so too. I think so too, but let me let me make an argument to you really quick. Despite all the success Daniel Bryan's had, despite all the titles he's won, WrestleMania main event, it still in many ways just feels that Vince doesn't see him as that huge main event star. So because he's not Roman Reigns he just he just put him in the main event of WrestleMania. I, I know, but I know. I, I think that's a f- totally fair point, and we see it that way. But there's just something about it that always feels like he doesn't, he's always forced into things. It never feels like he's part of the original plan. Does that make sense? No, but but he knows Daniel Bryan draws ratings. I would hope he and, does. And, and, and it's natural to say, hey, Raw needs to be freshened up. Raw needs a ratings boost. Not right away, I agree, he'll be out for a little bit, or, or a lot of it. Uh, but I, I don't see him going anywhere but Raw. As as much as I'd love to see him in NXT, I just don't see Vince doing that. And it makes sense to put him out Raw because Raw needs the help. It's not simply a Vince doesn't care about NXT thing. Raw needs help. It makes more sense for him to be on Raw. I do agree with that. And Raw does need the help. Hey, look, maybe it's a scenario where he, because we're in between times, maybe he goes to NXT like, in June or July or something, and then gets drafted back to Raw in November or October when they do the draft again. So maybe that's the scenario. Maybe it's like, okay, he needs to be on Raw. Let's give him three to four months in NXT. He can sow his Royal Oats there, uh, you know, to reference coming to America, and then we'll bring him back to the main roster where he belongs. Maybe they do something like that. But I do think you're right, where from a business standpoint, it's more important that he try to elevate Raw than it is for him to go have fun in NXT. So as as nice it is, as it is to book him in NXT and talk about all the fun he could have there, yeah, Raw is probably the destination that makes the most sense and where WWE needs him the most. And look, people can read into the comments that Brian's made in some of these interviews, right? And he's talked about wanting to go wrestle in Japan and Mexico and all that. But the end of those quotes, the, pe- the part people leave out, is he always says, and WWE. And I think the reason he says and WWE is uh, for numerous reasons. Uh, 
one of them is the fact that his family is extremely tied to WWE. You know, forget just him, but his wife and his uh, sister-in-law's reality show. And he's on that frequently. He's a major part of that show. But also the fact that WWE, and I know people don't like to hear it, they were looking out for this guy's health. They mm-hmm. stopped him from potentially seriously injuring himself or or worse, right? If it, When you're dealing with brain issues. So if WWE's there and if WWE's going to offer you the contracts they're going to offer you, yeah, maybe you don't ever get to wrestle Kenny Omega, right? That kind of sucks. I badly want to see that. Maybe you don't get to be in the G1. I would love to see that too. People would pop and go crazy. But if you get to continue wrestling for as long as he wants to continue wrestling and you get that flexibility that WWE maybe provides him, maybe they relent and say, you can go to Raw, we'll let you do NXT for a year, we'll let you do this and that. He's on the writing team, or he was, for SmackDown. Maybe he starts doing agent work and and producing. I think that there's every good reason for him to remain in WWE. And I don't think he, unlike others, has ever really given an indication that he actually doesn't want to be in WWE. I just think he wants to push them as far as he possibly can to maybe allow him to do certain things. Like, hey, let me go spend July in Japan while I'm under contract and I'll come back in August. You know, I think that is maybe where his head is at more than I'm actually going to leave this company for a couple of years like Rey Mysterio did. And then eventually I'll make my way back because WWE on their end, they don't ever want that to happen. They don't want the possibility to exist that Brian is out there and after eight months working in Japan and Mexico, AEW calls him up and says, you know what, dude, screw it. We'll give you $10 million. Just come to AEW. And he takes it. They can't allow that to happen. So I think it makes sense for all parties for him to try to remain in WWE. But man, if he can work some flexibility into that contract, if he can get them to allow him to do excursions in Japan and Mexico and places where he wants to go, that would be really cool for him. So go ahead if you have anything to say. Yeah, on top of that. Two, two things. One, going back to family, um, John Laurinaitis is the stepfather of the Bellas as well. Yes. So there is another tie there. Two, um, although I think that's what a ha- double, that's not even really related to, I mean, no, but he's in the family. In dinner, they go to dinners together, but they're not really. They're on the show yeah. together. Yeah. It's, just, it's another tie directly to the company. Um, it is. Yeah. Another part is, I think, the way things played out with Jericho in terms of uh exactly yeah you know jericho saying he wouldn't wrestle for anybody else in america uh other than vince and vince being cool with him going to japan but then that eventually turning into the AEW situation and i'm sure vince doesn't want another one of those situations to happen where he loses a guy he could be making money with to another company um even if it's overseas or something and then third is i don't i don't know how much longer brian wants to wrestle i don't know if anybody i mean he has said he has said he wants to wrestle until he's 80. He has, but that BT Sport interview he did a couple weeks ago really sounded like a guy who has well, changed his approach to a lot of things. He talked about not needing every match he does to be the best anymore. He talked about the main event of WrestleMania being incredibly calm and kind of out of body like it wasn't even there. I It, it sounded like a guy who's just going through a lot of figuring out what he wants to do. I, I'm not saying he does or doesn't want to do anything. I think he's still figuring out if he wants to keep wrestling. I don't think it's as simple as he just wants to go wrestle in Japan for a year if he wants to. I, I think there's a lot he's 
he's he's working out. Well, I, I certainly don't think, you know, obviously that exactly would happen because of his wife, you know, and because his family is based in the U.S. But I think that from what I can gather based on his interviews, and I don't know the guy, although I have interviewed him twice and we had great conversations. What I am gleaming from all of it is that he wants to continue wrestling, but doesn't want it to be as large of a part of his life. He wants it to be yeah. more of a part-time thing than a full-time thing. The question is, what does he do with that other part of his life? Does he train wrestlers? Does he work as an agent and a writer from home? Or does he step completely away from in that second part of his life from wrestling? And then the part of his life that is wrestling, where he still wants to participate here and there, does he want to still be tied to WWE? Or does he want to just be 100% independent? The difference between Brian today and Jericho, what you're talking about with going to New Japan, is Brian uh, Jericho at the time was not under contract to WWE. His contract right. had run out. So Jericho was like, look, you're paying me by appearance anyway, Vince. I'm going to go over to Japan, do a couple dates, or do one date. That turned into a couple dates. Then he came back, did the couple of the Blood Money in the Sand shows. He was going to fight The Undertaker in that casket match. That got pulled. They put Rusev in there. Funny enough, Rusev winds up in AEW as well, uh, or gets released and then goes to AEW. Um but then Jericho, yes, obviously he stayed in Japan. That kept building up. He got to know all those guys. And then AEW started. With Brian, if he's under contract to WWE, and it's an, a long-term contract, five-year deal, let's say, but there's provisions in there where he can go work in New Japan, that is suddenly where things get exceedingly interesting. So if he can work that and make that happen, I think there's something there. If he can't do that, and WWE is extremely strict and they're like, you'll only work here and but we're going to offer you a lot of money. That is the scenario where I don't know what ends up happening, where where he decides, what am I going to do based on these confines of what WWE is offering? me? But if they give him any flexibility at all, I think it's a no brainer that he stays. But again, there's still, I think, four to five months on his deal. Maybe by him being out of action right now, they're going to tack on some time. I don't know how that's going to work. He's not going anywhere yet. But I am really curious to see what the next step is for Daniel Bryan. We love him. This match was great. The WrestleMania match was great. He's had a great couple of years, especially if you go back to 35 being the heel side for Kofi Kingston. The return of Daniel Bryan to WWE from his uh, false or not false retirement, but the cautionary retirement, I guess is the best way we can describe it. It has been a massive success and it's been great to see him. The last thing here I want to mention is... WWE has done a great job of developing Reigns into a truly detestable heel. Mm -hmm. And whoever beats him for this title, because someone eventually is going to beat him for this title, is really going to be a made man. I pray it is not Edge. Because if they just do all of this and they build up Reigns to this degree, to put over, I don't even know how old Edge is, 48-year-old Edge, it's a huge freaking waste. But if they use this as an opportunity for Big E or a returning Keith Lee, just as examples of two guys, it is the type of victory and the type of feud that fully injects someone with a dose of superstardom. And the last thing I'll say, going back to the theme, you can address both of these at once or, or separately, whatever, is I just kind of wish they had saved this for next week as the like rebirth of Roman Reigns as this godlike character, because hearing that theme at the beginning, it kind of did give away the fact that Reigns is going to retain the title at the end of the match. 
I guess I didn't. I guess I didn't think about that at the time, but I, I guess it makes sense. I, I, my first thought was, I wish they had debuted it at WrestleMania, um, or but, that. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I guess that's true. I guess I didn't think about it at the time, um, but but that's interesting. And and so, as for who who takes down Reigns, I mean, I I don't want it to be Edge. Edge is clearly not next. I mean. Cesaro appears to be next, so it, it's going to be a bit maybe a SummerSlam type of thing. You know, I could see them doing Edge gets the title, loses it the next month, and Reigns beats him again and and continues on this reign, and it's a, it's a one-month blip that he doesn't have the title. I could see them doing that. I hope they don't. I hope Edge doesn't do it. I hope Edge knows. I imagine Edge knows that he wouldn't. He would probably only hurt the situation by winning the title. Um, he's really smart when it comes to that kind of stuff and who should and shouldn't have the title. Um, but you agree with me in general, right? That it shouldn't be edge. Yeah. That it needs to be, it needs to be a, a star to help establish them. Yeah, no, I, I think it's be, I think it should be biggie and I think it should be next year's WrestleMania. I, I think, I think really drag this out, have Roman go through absolutely everybody. And, and then, um, and then Biggie at WrestleMania Dallas next year. I think that's the best way to uh, to to do it because Ro- Roman's not slowing down. He has been champ since the summer, and he feels as fresh as ever. Part of that's a new theme, but I, I am not. He remains the best thing in pro wrestling right now. He remains the most interesting thing, the coolest guy, the guy who, whenever he's on the screen, I am paying attention. And I think you can ride this for a very very long time. I mean, I, I would totally be okay if they do it at SummerSlam, just personally. Whether it's Biggie earning a number one contendership, doing a long term storyline, and getting that, or Money in the Bank is coming up, I think presumably in June it's going to be since May is backlash. If they do Money in the Bank, Biggie wins. Maybe both Usos are back with Reigns, and they have like New Day take them out, and Biggie then cashes it in on Reigns after the main event of SummerSlam. No, or, no, no, no. We we it cannot it can't be Biggie cashing it in to win. I think that's how Reigns. That's is that's a heel thing to do. No, why? If you, Money if in the you, bank the whole, is if, face and heel. It's both. If the, if the point of if the point is to make somebody and make them look as strong as possible as the new head guy, you don't do it with a Money in the Bank cash. In. Oh well, no, no, no. I'm not saying that they should do that. I'm talking about what may happen. Like, like I, we I, want I Reigns think, to yeah. we want Reigns to lose clean and put someone over. Yeah. Okay. The best way for WWE in Vince McMahon's brain to take the title off this guy. This unbeatable, unstoppable, godlike character is probably going to be, I think, for someone to cash in money in the bank. I, I mean, I hope not. I, I right, think, I hope I, not. I, also, I, I, I'm just I, saying. And I also don't think SummerSlam. I, that's three months away. I don't think Biggie Biggie is is there yet. I, I I think you can tell a long term story over the next year to get him there. Um, I hope, will listen. they? I mean, it's possible. It's certainly possible. I'm just saying what what I would do is I would. I would drag it out to next year's Mania and, and have Biggie. The best case scenario is Biggie winning the Royal Rumble, challenging Roman Reigns, beating yes. him at WrestleMania. Yes. It's very easy. Like, th- like that is it. You just have to figure out what you're going to do with Biggie from now until then, you know, until January, basically. That is the best case scenario. The second best case scenario would be him winning it and earning a number one contendership and getting it done at SummerSlam. Or again, it doesn't have to be Biggie, but he's just the example, really the paradigm of the type of person who should be beating Roman Reigns and taking this title. Keith Lee is another great example. I don't think Damian Priest is there yet. Some other people maybe aren't there yet as well. But 
what I think may end up happening with WWE, because we know how they want to treat and protect Reigns, is to have it be a money in the bank cash in. And if there was a scenario where it was New Day in that where Biggie wins the money in the bank and New Day kind of helps him overcome the heels, I, I think that it's plausible and it could work in a way where no, Biggie doesn't cash it in the way Seth Rollins did, but Biggie cashes it in after a match and says, okay, let's fight. Let's have a match. Where he gets the advantage, they have a 10-minute match. Reigns is tired. Biggie beats him clean and wins the title. So I think there's different ways that you can do it. I just happen to have a feeling where I, I wish WWE would give it the super squeaky clean, put a young talent over type of deal. I don't know that they will. Money in the Bank is another avenue where that can happen. And hopefully they don't do it in a squash-like fashion. Yeah, the, the only guy I think anytime soon who who WWE could put over him is is Edge, whatever that happens. I don't think they'll do it that. that and I think that we'll would see. honestly be we'll worse see. than having a Money in the Bank cash. Because Edge, I, I, I Edge is, does not, is not helped whatsoever. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So, okay. All right, let's move on. Uh, before we talk about everything else that went down on Raw and SmackDown, I just want to say it is... We, we criticize Raw every week. We really shit on it for being terrible. This week's Raw was a completely watchable three hours. I texted you this. You agreed with me. That doesn't mean it was a good show or a great show. It was not a great show. Maybe it was, we can call it, a, it was definitely an above average show considering the average of Raw has been pretty shit recently. But there were still a ton of issues, including the women we'll talk about. But I was never mad that I tuned into Raw. I, there was no time where like last week when I was watching Raw, the first hour, I was like, I cannot believe I'm watching the same show I was watching a week ago. I didn't feel that way this week. The storylines at least felt somewhat different. So there were some fresh faces that we haven't seen. A lot of talent was used. So overall, since we have talked about Raw in general over multiple uh, weeks on this show, in general, I want to say I actually enjoyed Raw or at least I didn't hate myself for watching it. Yeah, I, I, I think the best thing you could sense from watching Raw was that they tried. They tried to put together a interesting show. And that was not the case last week whatsoever with everything being running back the previous week. Um, new people, new feuds, new storylines, matches that don't involve the feud. Like, especially in the Thunderdome era, they've been really just kind of banging you over the head with the same matches involving people in a feud over and over. This week was a little bit different. There, there was still some of that, but they tried some different things and it was perfectly watchable, which I think is, is it was a good way to put it. So it was a small step in the right direction. So let's start with the WWE Championship storyline, which was the main one from the show as we talk about everything else that went down across SmackDown and Raw. So Raw opened with Adam Pearce, Sonya Deville, and MVP flipping a coin to decide who Bobby Lashley would face on the show. I just got to say, we'll talk about it. Um, we'll talk about everything else that happened here, but they flip a coin to decide who he's going to face this week. And then the end of the show, he's facing the other person next week. So what was the point? Like, why did that even matter if you're going to have this guy in two singles matches and back-to-back -back weeks? I mean, I guess the idea was they both really want him. And so whoever Drew has to wait a week, I guess it, it was whatever. It, my big, my biggest problem is I don't understand how seeing Lashley versus Braun and Lashley versus Drew makes me want to see 
what they've right. already given me. I know. <laughs> Come the, up with something else. Like that's this is what they often do in tag team matches. Is they'll do a bunch of singles matches and then it's a tag match. But it's like or, I already or saw they'll this, or they'll like, have Braun. And, I mean, I guess they just did Braun and Drew versus the two Retribution guys twice already. So they're like, well, we can't do that again. We can't have them team up against the hurt business. Like you know, we we can't just keep going back to that well, which I guess is a good thing that they didn't. But yeah, yeah, doing singles matches against the champion doesn't make me want to see the match more, especially if both of them get beat by him. The, the the flip side is the flip side. Flip side, I will say is, are we thinking too much about the business side of things? If they're giving us what you know is a good matchup in the main event of Raw, should we just be happy with that? Maybe no, maybe, no, because maybe, I maybe think... we shouldn't be consider. Maybe we should be considering what this means for the pay per view. For just talking about Raw, no, I don't think that's a good. No, I don't think we are. I, I don't think this is good booking. I think there's enough people on that show where you can come up with interesting matches where you can put, hey, one of you is going to be in action tonight. You flip a coin, that person wins, and I don't know who they face, but they they face someone else. They face one half of the Viking Raiders, and then the other guy is like, hey, I can beat the other half next week. Or you do a beat-the-clock challenge with Braun and Drew where, you know, and, and these are tropes, I get it, but there are other things that WWE can do where they're both like, hey, you know, I can beat an opponent. I'm more dominant than you are. Braun goes out, beats someone in four minutes. Drew beats them in three thirds, a different person in three thirds, mm-hmm. or they do the same opponent back to back weeks. I don't know necessarily who it would be. I'm just saying there's other things you can do than give away part of the main event for your pay per view. And I know it's not a pay per view anymore, but it's still a match I want to see. And I don't want to see portions of that match before I get the match itself. It's one thing when they do a tag team situation, it's another thing when they're literally giving away. 50% of the match twice in consecutive weeks on Raw. So yeah. And, and one other one other thing I'll say is that um the open to open the backstage bit and how they set this up, the dialogue was not good. It like that's it, it was a sharp difference from SmackDown where the way people talk on SmackDown, it feels like that's how people talk. Because you have Brian, you have Heyman, you have people talking kind of normally. The, the, this raw open the way Braun, Braun was like cutting a promo. It, it, he was talking the same way he cuts a promo in the ring as he was talking with somebody backstage. Like that's not how it typically works. Drew saying he wants to give someone a one-way trip to Claymore country. Again, that's a promo you've cut in front of a crowd, not how right. you talk to people backstage. Braun saying he wants to give people a preview of backlash. That goes into what we just talked about, how that doesn't make me want to watch it more if you're giving it to me now. But yeah, just the dialogue setting this up too was was... Not great. And and I should note, just since you mentioned it, I'm a I'm a Drew McIntyre fan. I think he's Same. done a great job and continues to do a great job, but they are actively each week making him more and more corny. Like mm-hmm. there was the Claymore, the sword. Then there's the countdown. There's the kilt. And then there's some of these phrases, the phraseology that he's using in promos, which people just don't say. Like you're never going to hear Roman Reigns these days say something like that. Yes, he did that at Suffer and Succotash promo. Back in the day, that was terrible. But okay, let's move on because we do have a lot to talk about. I think we're on the same page regarding that. Uh, so Braun ended up winning the toss. He got Lashley in the main event. I thought the opening, despite it being not good, at least it was different. MVP later cut two promos backstage, putting over McIntyre and Strowman, which as Paul Heyman stresses, is the basic building block to putting over challengers, saying they're great yes. and saying why they're so good, but they just cannot compete with the champion, Lashley in this case. He also suggested McIntyre link up with Lashley to take out Braun so that they can have their one-on-one match at Backlash. 
McIntyre later said he didn't care who wins the main event, but he wants to know why Mason T-Bar are after him and why they took off the stupid masks and kept the stupid names. Hey, Drew, that's a great fucking question. In fact, I asked that question on last week's show. So when I hear him say that on TV, that that was one of the moments on Raw that actually popped me. I was like, you know what? I want to know that too, Drew. I was asking. So I don't know what the result is. We didn't even see them on this episode, which I guess was nice because it was a little bit different. But I want to know the answer to that as well. And hopefully when they do come back, they look different and they talk different and they don't use those names. Give them their names back. Dio Madden and Dijak. Just call them that. It'll be ha- Everyone's going to be happy if they do that. D&D. Uh, yeah, D&D. Yeah, anything. And they're both like uh, video game dorks, I think, right? So, and I don't mean that negatively. I'm just, I think they call themselves that. So give them a D&D gimmick or, or video game type of deal. I don't know. I know Dio Madden's into that shit. Anyway, uh, Strowman then later cut a promo saying he would beat Lashley and win the title. It was all very, very repetitive. MVP cut another promo, his third promo of the show before the match. It was just getting to the match. It was all way too much of the same thing happening throughout the episode. It, it was it was similar, but again, it they, they, they were building, they were reminding us that a big match is coming later. So I... Honestly, I liked it because too often it's like, oh, here's the main event. And then we like go two hours without hearing anything about it. So it was repetitive. There wasn't a ton to say, probably. But I appreciated that they continue to let me know that, hey, this match coming up at the end of the show is a big deal. And here's why. Now, to be fair, in the main event, they gave him 15 minutes and WWE did deliver what we want. In every way, it was legitimately. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> That's, what That's what we want to see. And in some ways, we did get that. Now, McIntyre, he walked out after four minutes. Lashley attacked Strowman, who was distracted, tried to fist butt McIntyre. Raw goes to commercial, so we don't even get to see McIntyre deny him, really. Strowman counters the hurt lock into a sidewalk slam when they come back. Lashley avoided Strowman's runaway train deal. He goes right into McIntyre. That distracted Strowman. Lashley caught him with a spear for the clean win. Then McIntyre hit each of them with Claymores to stand tall at the end of Raw. That's a very typical old school WWE finish for Raw. I didn't mind the finish of the match because you got to get out of it. But now you've had McIntyre lose. Now you've had uh, Strowman lose. And now they're going into this match with Lashley. The the show ended. I almost said Stro ended. The show ended with Lashley and McIntyre getting a match set for next week, which again, it's super repetitive. It felt to me like the rest of Raw, except for a couple small parts, were really entertaining and at least different. But this main event storyline, Chris, it is just so boring. I I am ready. I want Lashley to fight different people. I I love Drew. I thought he probably maybe should have won the title at WrestleMania, though I was very happy that they kept it on Lashley. But I don't want to see this anymore. I'm, I'm done with it. It, it's hurting Drew to still have him around this main event. They're they're putting him in a position where you're seeing him in the title picture too much. He he was a champ for a year, you know. I we I picked him to get his WrestleMania moment at uh, you know at the show. It didn't work out. He lost, and for him to just win one match and be right back in this, like it's you gotta freshen him up. You gotta get him with somebody else doing something different. I, I know he's your guy. He's great. He's a face of the company type guy. I thought he was 
MVP of the company in 2020. But yeah, I, I want to see different things. Look at what Randy Orton's doing now after six months of dealing with the fiend. Suddenly Orton is really interesting and cool and fun and fresh because he's doing something different. You got to get these people coming out of Mania to do something different. So I, I, I think it's been, it, I, don't, I don't think it's helped Drew to still have him be around this picture here. I agree with that. Now, Chris had a tornado warning in Texas and he did not get to see the main, I guess, women's storyline on Raw. So I'm going to go over it really quick and then we'll move on. Oh, you mean your life? Okay, I got it. Yes, right. it yeah, I, I paused for a second there. And I, I wasn't sure what he meant if you had caught up and seen it and I didn't know. Anyway, all right. So you had Adam Pierce and Sonia Deville at odds. And to me, that was actually the biggest part of this entire thing. Later in the first hour, after the opening segment, Deville was talking to Charlotte Flair and said she would take a request from her that we didn't know under advisement when Pierce came up and said he appreciated her help but she's completely overstepping her bounds recently. She then, she being Sonya Deville, set a match for Flair later in the show. So Flair fought Dana Brooke. Uh, Brooke got some good offense in, including two handspring elbows and a flying senton for a near fall. Flair countered a third elbow that was slightly botched and won with a figure eight. She didn't release the submission that led Mandy Rose into the ring to boot Flair a few times. This match was actually like decently entertaining, but it got no time. It should have been five minutes longer. There's no reason that Charlotte Flair and Dana Brooke can't go 10 minutes on a three-hour show. That, to me, is ridiculous. After the match, uh, DeVille made an entrance, called herself a WWE official equal to Adam Pierce, and said she would listen to Flair's proposal. Flair said Rhea Ripley and Asuka can only take the Raw women's division so far, called herself an influencer, and said she helped DeVille gain her authority so she should be added to the title match at WrestleMania Backlash. DeVille said, since the men have a triple threat, she'll add Flair, the women can have one too. This led Ripley out to say that nobody likes Flair. Then Asuka came out, called Flair a crybaby, and mocked her. And Asuka also delivered us a new sound drop for the show. This is her crap! Which we will use frequently, I promise you. (laughs) Uh, Ripley got in DeVille's face, and Asuka stood tall after a quick brawl. It was not a good segment overall. It was just very built, like blocky. It didn't really all fit together. Pierce ran down DeVille later in the show backstage. She lied to him saying she texted him about what she was going to do, but she did agree that they should make decisions together. So the storyline here is really obvious with Flair. I don't really care much for it. I'm far more interested in the dynamics of Pierce DeVille and what ends up happening than I am the Raw Women's Championship. And that really isn't fair. Adam Pierce, as we've said, is doing a great job. Sonia Deville is doing a fair job in what she's being given right now. As we said last week, the women's storyline is all about flair when Ripley is the rookie who just won the title, ending a very long reign for Asuka. So their priorities in this are completely mixed up. It seems like the end result of Adam Pierce and Sonia Deville is that, especially now, I thought Sonya was going to get SmackDown and Pierce was going to stay on Raw. Now I'm thinking it might be the opposite because of the Flair connection, that they give DeVille authority on Raw, they give Pierce authority on SmackDown. My biggest problem with the entire thing is the reason Adam Pierce was working so well as an authority figure is he was nondescript. He existed, he was fair, and he was relatively entertaining. Having a heel authority figure back on Raw, it is so trite. We've seen it for so long, whether it's 
uh, a Baron Corbin or whether it's Vicky Guerrero or Stephanie McMahon. It, it's we've seen it forever. I don't really want another one. And Sonya Deville should be used in such a better way than being a heel authority figure. Even her as a normal authority figure would be better. So I don't get exactly what they're doing. I am intrigued about the power dynamics, but the women's championship match, like we knew this was coming and I'm just really worried they're going to take the title off Rhea Ripley. So I know you didn't see any of this, but based on what I just described to you, you want to talk about the women's time on Raw? Do you want to talk about the power dynamics? Do you want to talk about the women's triple threat? Whatever, you well, go ahead. Yeah, well, based on what you said, I you sure as hell wouldn't know Rhea Ripley's the freaking champion who just exactly. won a WrestleMania match. Like, you know, we've talked about the last couple of weeks. She had really fallen in the background because it's all about Charlotte. And I don't really know why. I don't know why Charlotte and Rhea have to be in the same story right now. Like, you can tell this Charlotte story without the title at the moment. You can do it some other way. It's just clear that, you know, Charlotte was supposed to be, you know, in this position at Mania. It wasn't because of a couple things happened and they're just going with it. And she is doing a great job. Like, this is some of the best work I think she's ever done, especially promo-wise. Charlotte is is really doing a tremendous job. It's just unfortunate. It's kind of coming at the expense of Rhea Ripley, through not through Charlotte's fault. It's through the, the decision of booking and, and stuff like that. So uh, that's tough to see. And I agree about Sonya being a heel authority figure. I, you don't need it. Just have her be the page-like neutral authority figure. You know, she was doing a good job alongside Pierce as a fellow down-the-middle person on SmackDown. No reason she can't do that on Raw. I, I, I love Adam Pierce on, mostly on SmackDown. Like, he's, he's the neutral guy who makes decisions, and when someone roughs him up, that's clearly a heel move. Uh, I, it's it's been great. It's been like the William Regal type of stuff in NXT. I wish they could do. I wish they would just do that type of thing with with Sonya on, I guess, Raw now. But uh, yeah, that's my thoughts. It just feels like they've done such a good job. Even though Bianca Belair hasn't gotten a ton of time on SmackDown, and we'll talk about her in a little bit, they've done such a good job elevating her and making her look like a star as champion. Whereas yeah. Rhea Ripley totally feels like a placeholder and. I wouldn't be against it if Ripley had been on Raw for a year. She's so young. She can be a placeholder champion if they need, but she's debuting on Raw. Like everything we've seen about her to this point, she came in second at the Royal Rumble. She had a really good showing at Survivor Series. She was in a match with Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania last year, even though she lost, it was a good match with Charlotte. And so she's been elevated and made into a big deal, but they're not doing anything to say that this woman is actually a big deal now that she's champion. She should be getting solo promos backstage. She should be getting congratulated by some of the women on the roster, even though she's a heel. She should be getting put over by women. Flair should kind of be saying, you know, Rhea, you still can't beat me, but you did the job, you beat Asuka. I respect that. Then Flair turns her focus to other women on the roster because of one reason or another storyline-wise. And you allow Rhea Ripley to do something else with the title. But again... I think one of the biggest factors in all of this is that on Raw, every woman, with the exception of Nikki Cross, who's not on TV, Alexa Bliss, who's not wrestling, and then Asuka, Flair, and Ripley, every other woman is in a tag team right now. And they refuse to change the women's tag team titles. So because they won't change the titles, there's no individual women to refresh the single scene. So they're just stuck in this endless cycle 
of Flair being involved in the title picture here. I love Bailey, but Bailey being involved in the women's title picture on SmackDown because there's all these other women grouped up as tag teams, which is great. All these women should be in tag teams, but individually, they should also be able to go after the singles titles. And because they're not doing that and they're not allowing people like Liv Morgan or Mandy Rose or even now Shayna Baszler or Nia Jax to go after singles titles, it's the same very, very small group of people and it's getting monotonous and it's boring. And when you do have a match like Charlotte Flair and Dana Brooke, and I didn't count the time, but when you give it three and a half minutes and then you give your other women's match on the show a minute and a half, then you're not building up any of these other women. So this match should have been eight to 10 minutes at a minimum. The other women's match in the show should have probably been, if you want it to be squash-esque, four and a half to five minutes, not a minute 30. It's just really insulting and ridiculous what they're doing. Yeah, they gave the women 26 minutes on Raw last week. That's great. But if you follow that up by giving them six minutes this week, then what the hell are you doing? You're not benefiting anyone. So they really got to get their shit together when it comes to women's booking. And they are not doing a good job right now on Raw. Let's move on. We'll talk about a little bit of SmackDown. We'll cleanse our palate a little bit. We had an intercontinental title match. Apollo Crews defending against Big E in gorilla position before the match. Big E said he'll get his baby back. He got a near fall with a belly-to-belly suplex early and a big splash. He got another one after a urinagi. Cruz came back with a Death Valley driver on the ring apron. I love that spot. The hardest part of the ring, by the way. <laughs> uh, followed with a frog splash for a 2.8. Big E hit the big ending, but Commander Aziz pulled him out of the ring by his foot, forcing the expected disqualification. You had Kevin Owens run down for a revenge attack, but Big E saved him from the Nigerian nail. Sami Zayn then knocked KO out with a haluva kick, directed traffic. Zayn stared at the icy title with the heels on top after the match, and Cruz got pissed that he was looking at it. So Zayn tried to like make good and raise their arms. Aziz hit him with a Nigerian nail. Anyway, clearly we're going to have a tag team match coming up. This was another good match, though, between Biggie and Cruz. They work exceedingly well together. And I think the storyline with all four of these guys is actually developing nicely in a way that they may be able to extract Big E from this, allow him to fight Zayn, add Owens into the IC title picture, even though he already had a match that they gave away. I like the dynamics and I'm interested in all four of them and they're putting on really good wrestling matches. So to me, this was a huge win. Yeah, you know, I, I thought it was, um, match was good as always. I was a little kind of annoyed by just interference ending. But the Sami Zayn thing made... I thought it was really, really interesting. Him looking at the Intercontinental belt, remembering that he used to have it. You can tell he wants it back. It's always interesting when, you know, it's a heel-heel type of dynamic there. So the Sami Zayn part, I think, really made this feel a little bit different and, and, and interesting, and I'm curious to see what happens next week. Exactly. I assume we get a tag, but, you know, the, you know they always like to say, uh, can they coexist? I mean, I'm very curious to see if Sammy, you know, we get some triple threat or fatal four way or something. I don't, I don't know, but uh, the Sammy Zayn part of it made it really interesting at the end, and I was glad to see him get involved. And I was glad to see someone who just recently had the Intercontinental Belt realizing that he wants it back, despite it's, it's, it's a, it, it. Yes, it's a simple thing, but it adds so much credibility to everything when you realize everybody wants that belt. Yeah, they always do it with faces where a face sees it and reluctantly gives it over to the other face. To have a heel do it with a heel, 
I just thought was really unique and different. And yeah, yeah I, I'm very much enjoying the work of all four of these guys and they all belong in the mix. So I do think eventually we'll probably get a fatal four way. And maybe at that point we get a title change. I don't know, but it is interesting. By the way, they've slightly dropped the documentary gimmick. I don't know if we've noticed that with Sami Zayn. Uh, maybe he mentioned it, but I don't think he did. I really hope they didn't drop that. And I really hope we actually get the documentary. So don't yeah. tease us and then not deliver WWE. That's not fair. Uh, we'll stay with SmackDown. Bianca Belair and the Street Profits against Bailey and the Dirty Dogs in a mixed six-person tag team match that I really appreciated the booking of this. Uh, Belair got a strong, very strong video package to open SmackDown. She also was the first one that we saw in the ring, which was nice for a change. But then WWE did the interruption deal that they always do. The Dirty Dogs, who had new theme music, by the way. I want to hear more of it, but I was happy with that as well. The Prophets and then Bailey, each cutting each other off. Everyone brawled. They should have let Belair cut a promo here. I don't know why they couldn't give her the opportunity to cut a promo, have Bailey answer her, and then just start the match. Anyway, Dolph Ziggler and Montez Ford had a good run together in the ring. Ford sold his ass off. Angelo Dawkins had a good hot tag. Uh, Belair took Bailey out with the kiss of death. Rude tried to grab Dawkins' tights, so Belair whipped her hair at his back. Uh, Dawkins landed the anointment, and Ford hit a one move, like one motion, I should say, springboard frog splash off the ropes for the win to end an exciting but slightly sloppy match. We know that Ford's impressive, dude, but it is insane how many different ways he can hit the frog splash. This one was insane, perhaps second only to his 180-degree rotational one, but I enjoyed the segment. I enjoyed all of these people together, and I enjoyed the match. Yeah, this was fun. It, it was a fun, good, exciting match between a lot of people who are really entertaining, and they delivered exactly what they needed to do. You know, I, I think on a card where a show where you had a, a universal title match and an intercontinental title match, this fit exactly where it needed to be and gave us exactly what you needed. And 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 that's kind of all there really is to say. It was really well put together. And it was a good way to also get the women involved with something, yet have it be a little bit different, right? Like, like, yes, I want women's matches on the show all the time, but having the women mix with the men involved in a match when, mm-hmm. and, and look, Belair's husband is legitimately Montez Ford. So there's no reason in them having each other's back. I like that they're not playing it the same way they did Becky Lynch and Seth Rollins being an item yes. as they've done with others previously. But they're saying, look, we have a reason to be aligned. We're not going to ignore each other in the backstage, especially now that I'm a champion and you're going after a championship. So I like all of that, to be honest. Yep. We did have a DM slide from Unruly. I'm sorry to cut you off there, Chris. At Wolfpack Zone, you can re- uh, respond to this. He said, I feel like they need to let Bianca stand on her own and do EST type of shit. I don't know. I just want to see her win one of the matches one-on-one. I need that super cocky, I'm better than you NXT type of Bianca, that undefeated Bianca Belair type of swagger. So what do you think about that DM? And go ahead and say whatever you're going to say as well. Yeah, it, it, I agree. And it goes back to kind of the Rhea Ripley stuff too, which is, and this is what I said a lot, I think on last week's pod, but you got to show, not tell. You got to show us that, that uh, Bianca Belair is the EST. You got to show us that Rhea Ripley is a fierce champion. You can't just tell us. Video packages are good. Promos are good. But, and this was a step in the right direction, you know, getting Bianca back in the ring and and doing stuff like that. But yeah, she should every week 
there's no reason every week she can't have a a quick match and look great against one half of some tag team who is not involved in doing anything. I I, I think um, you you can't just tell us that Bianca is great because she won the main event at WrestleMania. That was three four weeks ago. Now now we got to see her continuing to rack up wins and and do stuff like this. I, I think it's something WWE falls into too much where they just one thing happens and then they just repeat it over and over and over and over to, to, to for that to be the whole buildup of a character. No, you have to keep doing it. You have to keep building up somebody, even when they're the champion. It's not just holding the belt. You got to see them in action and see them be as good as they are. There's no reason that Bianca can't run into the Riot Squad backstage, have them say, hey, look, we're getting overlooked here. We're not getting opportunities. And Bianca as a face, you know what? I'm the champion now. That's going to change. I'll give you opportunities. She fights Ruby one week. They have a 10-minute match. She fights Liv the next week. They have an eight-minute match. She wins both of them because she's the champion, but both women look good, and maybe that yeah. even builds their confidence. Then they become number one contenders for the tag team titles, and then they win the tag team titles. These are easy booking. Like Booking is not hard. I get long-term booking is difficult, and I get that the job that the writers have to do is not easy. I totally get it. But the basic tenets of storylines are not difficult and doing things like allowing your champion to get over on television by giving them matches like what I'm talking about, like what you're talking about. It's really not that difficult to do. They need to do more of it. They started doing it right before WrestleMania when they transitioned out of Reginald and they gave Bianca Belair a couple singles wins. Now do it that she's champion. We want to see the champion in matches. We put on NXT, we see Adam Cole or or Karrion Cross beat someone. We put on AEW, we see Kenny Omega beat Matt Slidell, right? Does yep. Matt Seidel deserve a number? Uh, is he the number one contender? Does he deserve a title match? No. But he, did he get a singles match? And did Kenny Omega look better after it? Yes, he did. You can do the same thing with your champions in WWE. They used to do it all the time. There's no reason they don't do it now. We'll move on here. The Raw tag team title picture. We had a title match on the show. AJ Styles and Omos against the New Day. So Styles and Omos, they started the main show of Raw after that intro that we talked about in the ring saying they were absent because they were partying. And I'm fine with that being the excuse. I think it was COVID related, but it would have been funny if they showed up in like island wear with pina coladas or <laughs> yeah. kayfabe photos of them from their vacation in island shirts. Like, I don't know why you're WWE. Why can't you just take that next step and make it funny? They're already a somewhat comedy tag team. Take it to that next level. Instead, it just rang hollow. We were on vacation. Okay, now we're back. And like, they don't look, AJ doesn't look sunburned. Like there's, they're not selling it in any, in any way whatsoever. Anyway, New Day comes out. Kofi Kingston cut a main event level IDGAF type of <laughs> promo on the kind of champions that New Day have been compared to Styles and Omos not showing up. And I don't think Kofi gets enough credit for how good he is on the mic. Omos gave a pretty okay response. All in all, this was fine, Chris, but if they had fun with the partying angle, I just think it would have made it exceptional. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Um, I'm Like you said, I'm glad they acknowledged where they were the last couple of weeks. I thought it really hurt them to not have them coming off of that really big WrestleMania main event. Um, and the promo was good. It was a good setup. It was. I'm not keen on just getting rematch for the sake of rematches, but it's. I guess it's been three, four weeks. Again, I, I this is similar with Bianca. I'd love to see AJ and almost almost just beating a couple of random tag teams for a few weeks before you do the New Day rematch or something like that. But I, I, I get it. 
you know, they look good coming out of this. So I, 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 would, I, I get why they did what they did. But again, I think you can take that next step. I would prefer that too. Like you have Elias and Riker. You have, there's like eight tag teams on Raw right now. So there are people that like somehow there's eight tag teams. There's actually <laughs> people they can beat. And you're right. They should do that. As far as the match goes, Omos dominated it. Uh, Styles took punishment. Omos came back. He leveled New Day with ease. Tag Styles for the phenomenal forearm off his shoulders for the easy win. I thought it was a great showing for them as a tag team. I have to believe the idea ultimately is that the Viking Raiders will take them down because I'm not sure what other tag team other than I maybe RK Bro could stand up considering how dominant the booking has been for them. But the reason I liked this is it was a refresher. We were supposed to have this image of them beating the New Day in our minds when they were champions on the next Raw. Instead, we had nearly a month without it. So now we have that image again. They're going to come back next week and hopefully continue the storyline to whatever they were going to do. So I think for that reason, it was okay for me. Um, Yeah, I I love them as a tag team. They have been awesome. They were great leading into Mania. I love the the finisher off the shoulders. Omas, I'm really enjoying. I remember you didn't love the tag team match at Mania. I think you liked it more the second time around. Uh, if I recall correctly, but I really, I love him as a tag team. AJ was really funny in that promo to, to start things off. He seems to really like what he's doing here. So I, I'm, I'm loving them and I'm, I'm hoping, um, I'm, I'm hoping to see them now every week now that they're back. I think with me, it's just, I don't like a tag team as strong as New Day being beat so decisively. Although I guess that puts them over as legitimate. So that's this why idea. they do it. But like, if you're going to do that, still have a 15 to 20 minute match. Don't yeah. just do it in eight minutes and look them make them look like dog shit. That's kind of where I had the issue. But all right, we'll move on. Alistair Black returned on SmackDown with a second vignette from Tales from the Dark Father, Tales of the Dark Father, talking about the false reality we live in and lies we tell ourselves, saying his father taught him otherwise. He said he could give us the keys to escape, but he won't. I thought this was very good once again. I like what they're doing. I just can't wait to see what this character looks like and, and sounds like when he gets into the ring. So... Um, not apprehensive about it. I really believe this is going to work and they seem to be putting their muscle behind it. So as long as it continues, hopefully there's only like two or three more vignettes. I'd love to see him debut the week after Backlash and move into like Money in the Bank program or something like that. But really for me, it's so far so good. I I, I still have no opinion on it. I, I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm Hoping they do something better with him this time around. I'm also hoping we don't get five straight weeks of promos before some in-ring thing, which they've done before. So I'm just kind of ambivalent about it right now until something big happens. Well, speaking of vignettes, there was a totally unexpected vignette for Eva Marie, who was laying and standing on a red Ferrari, saying the evolution was coming soon, and she wants to help others reach their goals and dreams in WWE. Couple things. First, I hope that WWE put the car there to play off Eva the last time she was supposed to like show up in WWE, being stuff, stuck in traffic and unable to make it and all the excuses. If they did that and that was like a little Easter egg, I appreciate it, but I don't know that it was. And that was five years ago, by the way. That would be funny. It seems clear that this is more of a managerial role for her than anything else, which simply put is better than the alternative. The alternative of her wrestling is not good. The idea of her being a manager, I'm 100% fine with. I'm not the biggest Eva Marie fan, but... That's the most action I've had all year. And I'm willing to give it a shot. I wish they had started these vignettes after WrestleMania instead of randomly in May. Other than that, hey, wait and see approach. I'd rather 
have a reason to hate it than just hate it for no reason. This excited me. I got really excited, and I'm not sure if I'm not this sure if I like even. I'm not sure if I like Eva Marie <laughs> for Eva Marie or if I like Eva Marie because of how infuriating it makes certain people. I like, love that it pisses people off. I do. Yeah, like yeah. I like I like that aspect of it. That that Bailey Eva Marie match on NXT was one of that was an incredible experience. Yeah, when everybody thought there was a chance that that Eva Marie could beat Bailey, and that crowd was just like on edge the whole time. They totally worked them. I loved it. I, I I like stuff like that. So we'll see. I, I mean, I don't know what's going to mean. I, I liked this promo until it ended with Evolution because I'm, then I can only think of like Emelina and, and some of these play on yeah. words that they do that don't really work. So yeah. we'll see. I don't know. I was excited to see her just to see what the reaction on Twitter was to seeing her. So I, I that might be a little too too uh, too meta on it. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm excited to see where this goes. No, I, 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 I listen, we on this podcast get pissed off at WWE all the time. We get pissed off at everything all the time, right? But there's some things that happen in wrestling where you just got to see what happens. Like, there's no reason to just straight out hate something before seeing it develop. And I want to see it develop. I want to see who she's going to end up managing. Maybe she ends up managing like Angel Garza and takes him to a US title run. Like, you don't know what's going to happen. And I also hate when I go online and I see people immediately shitting on something because it's WWE. Uh, if this was an AEW, this would work, but because it's WWE, it's going to fail. Not necessarily. Like there's, that's been said about numerous things and it hasn't necessarily been true. So I want to see it happen. I, I, I am ready to give Eva Marie a chance. I hope that the future vignettes are different and they develop it and they move it forward like they're trying to with Aleister Black. Let's see what happens before we cast total doubt on this being a failure. She has legitimate heat, and that's a good thing. She does. That is true. Uh, now we had Umberto Carrillo on Raw tell Kayla Braxton he won't be bullied or disrespected, and he would keep answering the open challenges of Sheamus until he wins, I guess, the title. When Sheamus attacks him from behind, throws him into the road case. So yeah, I guess he was bullied after all. Uh, <laughs> then we're backstage, and we see Pierce, Adam Pierce, sign Mansoor to a Raw contract, and Sheamus thought he was an intern. Mansoor st- stood up for himself, and Sheamus suggested that he accept a non-title open challenge later in the show. I thought Creo's promo was okay. It was a bit rough, but not bad. Mansoor looked really good in a suit, and yes. his speaking role, not his ability to speak, but the way he spoke was extremely natural and confident. So we're backstage. We're seeing Umberto Creo and Mansoor, and I'm like, all right, let's see what happens here. So we get a non-title match, Sheamus against Mansoor. Sheamus keeps destroying Mansoor outside the ring, forcing him to beat the count to get back in. Mansoor made a good run with a Tornado DDT for a 1.5 count, but Sheamus cut off a moonsault, hitting white noise and getting his head bloodied. As Sheamus prepared for the bro kick, Carrillo came in out of nowhere, forced the DQ and attacked him at ringside only for Sheamus to level him with a bro kick and then Mansoor with another one for good measure. Sheamus looked really good coming out of this, but I don't know why they couldn't have had Carrillo and Mansoor two-on-one go over by having them stand on top, Chris, in a non-title situation. I I thought, yeah, you're making Carrillo look okay because he's showing guts, but if he never gets over on him before he ultimately loses the match that they're going to have, then what's the point of doing this at all? Right, and I'm kind of thinking that'll happen next week as the go-home to 
WrestleMania backlash. Um, my major impression from this was, and you touched on it, Mansoor looked really natural um, backstage. He looked good in a suit, good looking guy. His facial expressions reacting to the comments Sheamus uh, was making were really well done. And then the match was good. And did you see the way he took that broke kick? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. He flipped up on his back. Oh, man, he looked like he died. He, he sold the hell out of it. That was really well done. Obviously, not a star-making debut by any means, but there were a lot of little things in, in this Raw debut for him that I think are look pretty promising. He seems to... Uh, he seems to get the little, he seems to understand and get the little details. For sure. Now, uh, next we had Damian Priest against John Morrison in a singles match. The Miz and Morrison were in the ring and WWE replayed Morrison getting hit in the nuts with a tomato like three different times. There's nothing they love more than overdoing something like that. And so <laughs> yes. they showed it three times. Miz said, even if you hate him, he's too important to deserve that prank of the rotten tomatoes. Priest got his full entrance, and it is a freaking great entrance with awesome pyro. I'm glad they haven't toned that down at all. Miz distracted Pierce on the ropes, and Morrison jumped up to hit an avalanche Spanish fly from the middle rope. Damian Priest, six foot five, avalanche Spanish fly from the middle rope. That is insane. Miz's distraction cost Morrison on an inside cradle. Priest took advantage with the bell ringer and hit the lights for the clean win. He's now beaten both of them. And should be primed, in my opinion, for a U.S. title run next month once Sheamus gets past Carrillo and Mansoor. When I say U.S. title run, I mean challenge at a minimum. But this was good all around. I like how they're booking Priest. He's consistently strong. He's now beaten Miz and Morrison. For me, it's time for him to move on. Uh, but so far, so good. Yeah, no, it, it's, you know, I, I didn't think he got enough of a shine coming out of WrestleMania. I get the Big Bunny pull, but part of that was supposed to rub off onto Damian Priest, and it didn't feel like it did in the week after, really, either, because they only talked about Bad Bunny. But now he's, I think, finding himself. Uh, he looks he, he looks great. The last couple of weeks have been really good. Like you said, I don't really know where we go from here. Are we going to do this two more weeks, get a backlash match, and then it's done? I, I don't know, but I'm ready for him to move on to something bigger, because I think he's showing that, that he's ready for it. I'll use this part of the show, as always, to see I miss Keith Lee. I don't know what's happening, but I hope he gets back yes. better soon. Uh, RK Bro fought Elias and Jackson Riker in a tag team match within full earshot of New Day. Elias and Riker are like scheming like little like teenagers, planning to throw tomatoes at them as retribution from last week. But instead, Randy Orton walks in the shot. They hit Randy Orton, who was really pissed off. I cannot believe they did the corny tomato shit two weeks in a row, but comedy's comedy and, and it's I'm not going to hate on it totally. Uh, Riddle drove by Orton with a scooter and then later saw the Viking Raiders in a funny bit backstage where they played off their name. We always make jokes. <laughs> Vikings, Raiders, two NFL teams. They actually did it on the show. So I, I credit them for actually doing that. Then Riddle ran into Orton again. And there was some more good comedy with Orton zipping his mouth, taking the key away and, and calming Riddle down and agreeing to do a second tag team match with him. So we have the match. As I mentioned, Orton tagged in Riddle before the draping DDT, hit Elias with the RKO as Riddle hit the floating bro to make them 2-0 as a team. Anyone who saw the Riddle-Pete Dunn tag team in NXT knows how well this can work with Riddle and Orton. So far, honestly, it's fantastic. It's probably the best part of Raw. I'm totally loving it, Chris. 
yeah, it, it, it brings a smile to my face whenever I see the two of them together. It's It's been a great turnaround for Riddle, who, you know, I've said a lot. I didn't like him for quite a while, the character he was doing, but he they tweaked it. He's now more of like a child instead of a stoner. And I think it, I think it's popping Orton a bit. I think, I think you can tell he's trying not to laugh at some of these things that are going on. Oh, totally. Yeah, he's trying not to break. It, 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 yeah. It's funny because he's like, he hates, he is like, he hates Riddle. But also, he, he Riddle kind of convinces him to like get hyped about them as a tag team, and it works. So I don't know where it's going to go, but two weeks now, it's been it's been really fun. One of the best things in Raw. Yeah, the, the positivity is endearing to him as a character, which is yeah. pretty cool, right? And look, this is one of those tag teams where it doesn't need to last long. Like eventually, all you need to do is have Orton RKO him. It's going to come out of nowhere. Maybe they win the tag team titles, they lose them, Morton's pissed, he RKO's them, and then they have a feud, and and it's going to be good matches, right? So this is almost a no-lose scenario, and it's very rare that WWE creates something like that. But what it does say is that they have put Riddle in numerous spots so far in his young main roster career where he's able to get over with important people. And I really hope that WWE and Vince McMahon notices that this guy has the ability to be that incarnation of Kurt Angle, where he can be serious and dominant and destroy people because he's great in the ring and he's an awesome technician. But he has that entertaining personality comedy bone that Kurt Angle did. Now with Kurt Angle, you didn't know he had that coming into WWE. With Riddle, you do know he has it. So I hope they see it. I hope they continue developing it. I said back when he was in NXT, Matt Riddle should be a WWE or Universal Champion at some point in his career. And I hope this is the beginning of that. I don't mind them taking him along slow, but I do want to see those steps to his development continue. We have a DM slide from Steve Nevins at Steve Nevins 3. He said, I hope you will speak about the incredible job Randy Orton is doing with this new gig, especially in light of his past year with really dark, intense stuff with Edge and The Fiend. I don't need to speak on it, Steve, because you just did. Uh, Chris, is there anything else you want to say about this or should we move on? No, I, I think that covers it. Okay, so let's talk about the women's tag team title picture. We had Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler in a non-title match on SmackDown against Natalia and Tamina. The champions said backstage they're not concerned about losing singles matches when the challengers attack them from behind. This probably should have been for the title considering how long this has been going. Reginald distracted Tamina on the top rope, but after Jax tagged in Baszler, Tamina knocked her down and hit the superfly splash for the clean one, two, three over the champions, presumably making them number one contenders except there was a title match scheduled for Raw. So again, what booking sense does that make? This was not a great match on Raw. We had the title match, Jackson Baszler against Naomi and Lana. This match was two minutes. Normally I'd complain about it being that short. And you know what? I am going to complain. It was too (laughs) short, but it shouldn't have been that much longer. It probably should have been double or triple the time, like four and a half minutes as, as opposed to one and a half minutes. But the challengers really shouldn't actually be legitimate contenders considering Jackson Baszler and how good they are. Uh, the challengers isolated Baszler. They got a number of near falls with Lana showing improvement. Baszler eventually countered Lana into the Kirifuda clutch for the submission victory. I like Jackson Baszler together, but this division, Chris, it absolutely has to move on. Everyone is bogged down. They need to change the titles. If they want to put them on Natalia and Tamina as a transitional team, that's fine. Put it on them, then put it on the Riot Squad. Do something different with this division. Yeah, it feels like there's such a bottleneck. Like every team kind of has a opportunity or a case to make to, to get a title match and to win. 
but it's not happening. And like, you gotta, you gotta move on here. I've, I've enjoyed Shana and Nia, but it's just, it's weird how this keeps happening over and over. Change the titles. Let's change it up. Let's do something else, please. For sure. I'm just, it's really just pissing me off at this point. And there's so many talented women on the roster. Not only do they deserve more time, they deserve and need better storylines. And hopefully we can get past backlash and then we can actually start developing some important good things for SummerSlam, on the road to SummerSlam. Uh, The Mysterios cut a promo backstage about becoming the first father-son tag team champions. I don't even have notes because they barely said anything. But yes, that is something I said like six months ago and I hope they do it. Uh, We'll just move on from there. Lucha House Party fought Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin in a tag team match. This match was just happening when Raw came back from commercial. No entrances for either team. Grand Metalik won with his tightrope elbow drop on Benjamin and I was getting ready to go crazy about them being buried until Alexander grabbed the microphone and tore down Benjamin for being the weak link and the reason they got kicked out of the Hurt Business. So they brought back that storyline. Alexander said he's in his prime and refuses to waste any more time with uh, Benjamin. Later backstage, Shelton said he's the reason Alexander was even in the Hurt Business. And while Cedric can do whatever he wants, he refuses to be disrespected. Damn good promos from both guys. Like I said, I was going to go on a rant about how buried these two guys have been, especially after this loss. But with Alexander turning, at least this makes some sense. And we did have a DM slide from Mick Johnston, who's kind of saying the same thing at Mick underscore Johnston. I'm not sure that this was the plan from the start, but they've tied up the loose ends and the story now makes sense. As a wrestling fan, that's all I want. Thoughts. So I'll I'll give that to you. Kind of. I mean, we'll see. I just... Something happened with them, so that's good. You know, I'm glad Cedric got a promo. We'll we'll, we'll see. Um, I just someone someone posted a picture on Twitter. It was the photo after after uh, uh, Elimination Chamber, I think it was when 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 um Lashley or Raw or something. The Hurt Business with all the gold. That title that that photo that MVP put out. It's just and I think the person said like this is one of the dumbest decisions WWE maybe has ever done it in, in breaking them up. And I, I, I kind of agreed with that. I just, I don't get it. None of them have, none, none of them look better since this breakup. They they just, uh, they added to each other so much. And it's just frustrating that this reaches point. I know we've talked about this every week since it happened. I guess I just wanted to say it one more time because uh, now that Cedric and, and, and Shelton are going their separate ways. So something's happening. Loose ends are being tied up. Yes, I just, I still wish they weren't in this position. The devil's advocate I'll play on this is certainly Benjamin and Alexander look worse. There's no question. But they are building Bobby Lashley as the almighty WWE champion. That is the theme that they're going with for him and for his title run. And are you really almighty if you need two guys having your back in a faction like this? I don't think you are. So I think that was the reasoning behind the entire thing. And I don't think enough people are understanding that. I'm not oh, saying it was, it was the yeah. right de- I'm not saying it was the right decision. If I was booking, I wouldn't have done it. But that is the reason and I think the reasoning of it has some justification. Now as far as this goes, there's that famous line from Django Unchained, you had my attention, now you have my interest. They don't have my interest yet, but they do have my attention. And I am willing to see what they do with Alexander and Benjamin. Hopefully Alexander goes over whatever feud they end up having. And when that happens, if that happens, if Alexander becomes a mid-carder and goes after a face 
champion who ends up with the United States championship, then all is well and good. Because Shelton Benjamin, as much as I like him, he's a veteran. He's in the background. He's, he's fodder at this point. Alexander's the one who needs to get pushed. So if this winds up with Alexander still being significant on Raw, I will be okay with it after a couple of weeks of kind of shitty booking. But if it's not, and these guys just become low carters, they're never used or like a gulak, then that will be obviously be a problem and I'll hate it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, and there's a, there's a long-term story to tell where Cedric says, I'm coming for Bobby at some point. Like, I'm, I'm going to get there. Sure. I'm going to get back to that level and, and, and you can do something with it. So um, I don't think they'll do that. I just think there's an opportunity to do it. So yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with Cedric next. So we have Angel Garza walking backstage with a rose when Drew Gulak tore him down for never having a lady despite having a rose with him at all times. Gulak challenged him and Garza said he'd kick his ass and shove a rose up his ass, which was kind of funny as a line, right? And it looked like Garza was going to win the match in a squash, but Gulak got some offense and then Garza won super clean with the wing clipper, which is his finisher. Garza then literally put the rose on his crack and did a running kick into Garza's asshole. I legitimately was going to delete that sound from the <laughs> soundboard. And somehow we had a use for it this week. I legitimately yeah. laughed out loud when he kicked him in the ass. I'm just being honest. I thought it was hysterical. This was a quick storyline. It was a good showcase for Garza, dude. I, I, I got to say I'm optimistic. Like, I, I don't think that suddenly he's going to get the rockets, the rocket strapped to him. But we got Angel Garza and Drew Gulak on the show. We got Mansoor and Umberto Carrillo. Like, Ricochet and Mustafa Ali weren't there. But other than them, everyone else was on Raw. And I kind of appreciated it. Yeah, this is good. This is the type of thing Raw should be able to do every week. There, there's still so much talent there and they can do little one-offs like this or maybe it could become something bigger. I don't know, but it was fun. It was entertaining. I was very sports entertained by that segment. They set it up. They paid it off. Boom, boom. Done and done. It was great. Great stuff. Yeah, now start doing things like this with Ricochet and Ali and allow some of these people be to be in low card segments every week, but then slowly elevate one at a time into the mid card and cycle your talent. Like, sure, I don't need Gulak necessarily on every single week, but if he's on twice a month and Garza to start is on twice a month, and then you start bringing these guys up here and there to answer open challenges, they start feeling more legitimate as opposed to out of nowhere. So yep. I loved the effort to put talent on Raw this week, and I thought they did a really good job doing it. Uh, we had Alexa's Playground back with Alexa Bliss saying Lily loves to play games. Bliss said someone caught Lily's eyes, but she won't say who, and not to blame her for what happens next. Then she sang, sang a Lily nursery rhyme and got demonic at the end. I'm starting to be pretty far out on this, I'm going to say. It's just not really going anywhere, but we did get a DM slide. I told you guys there were a lot of DMs this week. Sports Reality TV, that's his handle, at Sports Reality TV. He said, so Alexa Bliss said Lily likes the color red. Lily was in the background of the Sonya Deville and Adam Pierce argument where Sonya was wearing a red suit. She was also in the background of the Drew Gulak, Angel Garza backstage segment with the red rose. Where do you think they are going with this? So I don't have an answer for where they're going with it. And I wish I could because my goal is to always answer the DMs, Chris. Maybe you do. But again, it's not really working for me. But just like with the Eva Marie thing, I'm not going to shit on it until we actually see what happens. Yeah, I kind of like the Aleister Black. I'm just kind of whatever on it until something happens. And until something happens, 
I'm not going to have any thoughts on it, I guess. Just yeah. do something now. Just do something. Also, where the hell's The Fiend? He came back for one show and now he's gone yes. again? Yeah, I don't know. Like, it doesn't make any sense. So, uh, I, okay, so that's really it on what happened on TV. There were two other things I wanted to briefly touch on. First, I have to give credit where it's due. And some people may disagree with me. I may get tweets. This was easily Adnan Verk's best week on commentary. Like, yes, he did not seem out of place for the first time. His energy was more natural. He actually got legitimately excited. Don't really blame him over the Eva Marie vignette. Uh, and Corey Graves helped with that as well. They seem to be giving some of the play-by-play duties, splitting it up between Byron Saxton and Corey and having Adnan not so much work as the third man because he is the lead, but almost have him direct traffic and have the other guys do a lot of the heavy lifting. It is starting to kind of work and he seems to have control and knowledge about the gimmicks and the wrestlers now. So, you know, the, uh, the other weeks have all been like D minuses and Ds and D pluses. I think you give Adnan Verk this week like a C minus. It was an improvement. And we said he gets two months to kind of prove himself. This is like, what, three weeks, four weeks at this point? He's on his way. I, I guess the best thing I could say is that I didn't notice him this week. It and wasn't that's a good thing. Right. Yeah, it, it, it was it was a... It was a step in the right direction. So, uh, yeah, it was a week after he got a lot of criticism last week. I actually thought he was all right last week, but a lot of people didn't like the job he did last week. Um, so I, I, I haven't I haven't seen, honestly, any reaction on Twitter since Monday. And that kind of goes back to what I said, which was I just I didn't really notice him. And I think that's a positive. For sure. Now, WWE did promote a throwback edition of SmackDown for this coming week on Friday. They used the old logo in the graphic with the exclamation point, but strangely, they had the neon WWE sign. So I don't think it's going to be a throwback SmackDown as much as it is like an old school Raw, the way that used to be. I'm not exactly sure what they're going to do, but look, we know the main thing we need from this, what the fans want from it, and that is the huge fist. So I don't know if we're going to get the fist or not, but I do always love the throwback shows, Chris. So I am pretty excited about it on Friday. Me, me too. I'm, I, this is, I guess, nitpicky, but it, it's annoying to have it like a 1980s style throwback when it's 1999, I guess. Like I, right, I, want, like, right. I want to get to the point where WWE does these throwback shows that are attitude era broadcasts. Like I, I like that's the kind of thing I want to see. I'm curious at, at what age do we get to where that actually happens? I don't know. Also a little uh, tip of the cap to WWE for adding the old Fox logo to the graphic as well. Like oh, the late I didn't 90s Fox logo. Yeah. With like the that's spotlights, cool. they put that below it. So that was a nice little touch too. It's, it's all a little bit inconsistent. It's kind of like when the Tampa Bay devil rays did throwback 1970s jerseys. That didn't make any sense. But uh, I'm curious to see what will happen on Friday. And we'll get out of here on this. We didn't have a chance last week to talk about the Rowdy Roddy Piper A&E biography. I watched the Macho Man one as well. So we're going to give you like 30 seconds each on these from each of us before we get out of here. So regarding Piper, with these two-hour documentaries, they haven't been spending more than like 10 minutes on their pre-wrestling background. But I want more of that. It feels like a greater biography on the person. And they're not really doing it with any of them. Piper was another one. But I guess when you're dealing with like legends in WWE, there's so much to talk about with their careers that maybe you just don't have the time when it's two hours with commercials to actually go and do that. But the Piper one, Chris, for me, it was the best of the first three. I know you haven't seen Savage yet. 
Uh, I've always been a huge Piper fan, but this just felt like the most all-encompassing. It actually went into the good and bad of the person. The Steve Austin one was heavily positive, while the Randy Savage one, I'll talk about that in a moment. This was just the most well-rounded biography, I think, so far out of the three, even if there wasn't that much necessarily to learn from it as a longtime fan of Piper. Yeah, like we come into it as hardcore wrestling fans. Like I said, my, I watched it. I watched it a second time with my dad on on my vacation, and and he and, and he liked it. So there's you got to tell different parts of the stories for different people. I too, both the Stone Cold and the Roddy Piper one, have found the pre wrestling days like way way more interesting than the rest of it because I already know the rest of it. So that's I, I wish they would touch on it more, but I get what they can't. I have found that to be interesting. The Roddy Piper one was, was really good. The, one of the most interesting parts was when they talked about his HBO real sports interview where all the old wrestlers were dying and he was saying, WWE doesn't care. And I've got a pension for when I'm 70, but I ain't going to reach mm-hmm. 70 years old. And that was like, that was an important stuff. And they, they framed it as Roddy was just upset and, and bitter. And then they kind of just moved on from that. And it, I get why they didn't go deeper into it. And WWE has, I think, gotten generally better with the way it treats its legends. But I was glad they included it. I It would have been nice to go into it a little bit more. I get why they didn't. But I found that part really interesting. Um, and, I, and I'm glad they I'm glad they included it. I actually thought that they spent a good, a good amount of time on it. And I was surprised they mentioned it at all, to be honest yeah. with you. So the fact that it was in there shocked me. And I was shockingly surprised by it. The fact that they talked about it, Vince addressed it, his son addressed it saying like, here's what my father thought at the end after that all happened. So yeah. I actually disagree that I don't think they should have spent more time on it because it's only such a short documentary, but I, I was shocked yeah. that it was there at all. The one thing I will say is I think we do forget a little bit. These are not WWE Network or Peacock Now documentaries where they're made for the wrestling fan. These are for general the general audience. So- yeah. You have people watching these who maybe don't care that much about the background. They want to learn about their career. They're talking to a different audience and they are time limited. Where WWE Network, if they want to do an hour 36 or an hour 42, they have the flexibility to do that. A&E doesn't. They have a certain amount of time, so they do need to cut things. And that's why the Randy Savage, Macho Man Randy Savage doc, for me, you haven't seen it yet, but it was such a big disappointment and it was by far the worst of all of them. That's there what was my hard- dad said. My dad, my dad, I didn't see it. My dad didn't like it either. There was hardly any background on the guy, even less than Austin, even less than Piper. I think background wise, Austin got the most out of the three, but there was hardly any background on him. And it was the only biography where freaking fans, there was an actor, the guy from um, Billions on on Showtime, which I love that show, but he's on there talking about Macho Man. Bubba the Love Sponge is on there talking about Macho Man. Yeah. I. I don't dislike Peter Rosenberg, but Peter Rosenberg is on there talking about him uh, as much as equal time to his peers. I thought that was ridiculous. I saw some people say that it was a burial and that it trashed Randy. I agree in some respects, but mostly in comparison to the Austin biography. They went so deep into Gorgeous George when they completely shied away from Deborah and Austin's alleged domestic abuse. There was no reason whatsoever to spend time on the Hogan Savage post-career beef with Bubba the Love Sponge and the rap career of Savage when they could have spent all of that time talking about other things such as his WWF championship run, all the WrestleManias from four to seven, Sensational Sherry, the mega powers exploding. They hardly talked about if any of that 
So I, I think people, the reason they thought it was a burial of Savage is because they didn't like remembering how it ended with him. And he wasn't there to kind of defend himself as opposed to focusing on the heights of his fame and all the great moments. So all those things I mentioned should have been in there. The other things I mentioned shouldn't have been in there. So I do think the tone of it was unfortunate. And I thought A&E did a really shitty job, but I don't think it, the goal of it from WWE or from A&E was to bury the guy. I just think that some really bad editorial decisions were made. And Chris, next week we have our uh, WWE WrestleMania Backlash Ultimate Preview. So we're probably not gonna have time to talk about the Savage one or the Booker T one, but we'll be able to kind of revisit this in a couple of weeks. You can give your thoughts on Savage. We'll talk about Booker T a couple of weeks from now. But I am really curious to see what you think about this. So as far as what's coming up next on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we, of course, this Thursday have an AEW Blood and Guts and NXT full breakdown episode. I don't know whether we will or will not go instant analysis style after Blood and Guts. I highly doubt that we will. We'll probably just do it on Thursday morning, but look out for that episode this week. As I mentioned, we will be back next Tuesday with an ultimate preview of WrestleMania Backlash for WWE. Then on Thursday next week, we will have NXT and AEW once again. On Friday, we will do a WWE pay-per-view live go-home show on Twitter Spaces. So don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast and download the Twitter app for iOS or Android. And then on Sunday next week, we will have our WWE WrestleMania Backlash instant analysis. You know how we do the best shows that Getting Over puts together. So that is it for today. We did go longer than expected. I appreciate everyone listening. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Do not forget. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating and review to let people know how much you love this show. And for Vintage Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King Adam Silverstein. And I'm going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.